The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data. Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Today we're gonna discuss a topic that's near and dear to my heart as a marketing consultant, B2B enterprise marketing. Joining us is Greg Poirier, who is the president at Cloud Kettle, which is a consultancy that specializes in helping B2B SaaS companies build and optimize their revenue stack. From demand generation through renewals, Cloud Kettle helps clients through the optimization of the connection between their sales force, marketing automation, customer support, and success tools. And today, Greg is going to tell us about some of the marketing trends he sees in the enterprise B2B marketing space. Okay, here is our interview with Greg Poirier, the president of Cloud Kettle. Greg, welcome to the MarTech podcast. Hey, Ben. Thanks for having me. It's nice to meet you. We were actually connected through uh, somebody that works on your team who is a follower of our newsletter. So I'm glad to see that the work we put into the newsletter is paying off, if for nothing else, to meet great guests. So thank you for coming on to the show. I'd like to start off by just give us a little context about you and about your consulting practice. Tell us a little bit about your work and who do you focus on? So CloudKettle has been around for about five years. The background of the organization is the two senior partners, myself and John, we'd each worked and been recruited to a number of B2B SaaS companies to build what would now be called marketing operations and a MarTech stack. It didn't have a fancy name a while ago. And each successive time, we kind of really enjoyed the part about building out the technology and optimizing how it worked and showing how that improved ROI. But in progressively senior roles, we weren't necessarily as interested in participating in board meetings and fundraising and closing rounds, et cetera. And the last time around, John eventually became CEO and I became COO of the last company we worked at. And after that was acquired, we felt like that wasn't the route we wanted to go in the future running more SaaS companies. So we decided to go back to what we enjoyed doing. And that was the foundation of Cloud Kettle. So there's a team here, primarily about a third of us are Salesforce alumni. So there's a lot of Salesforce background here. A significant portion of the team were part of the Radiant 16 that was acquired by Salesforce a few years ago. And that's one of the products that became part of the Salesforce Marketing Cloud. And now we build out those systems and machines for other B2B SaaS companies the way that we used to do as full-time employees. 
What sticks out to me is that you and I have somewhat similar career positions. Uh, we both run independent marketing consulting practices. You have a scaled team and are a little bit closer to being an agency. But our backgrounds are dramatically different. I worked in consumer marketing and was running the marketing departments for early stage consumer startups and decided to step away from that and ended up doing a fair amount of brand development and marketing strategy for enterprise B2B SaaS companies. And I'm not sure why my background was enticing to those companies. And now that I have a little experience, I have a better sense of how it works and the purpose of the brand development and the customer segmentation work that I've been doing. I'm interested to hear a little bit about your view of the enterprise and B2B marketing space. As you're working with multiple companies and focused on marketing operations, do you see any trends or is there a specific marketing playbook that you are following across the board? I would say one of the biggest trends we're seeing in 2019 and kind of at the end of 2018 as companies were planning their budgets is a contraction in the willingness of the C-suite to fund more MarTech and sales tech. So we all had a wild ride there for about two years where I think a lot of marketing operations and sales operations groups were able to go to the C-suite and obtain a lot of funding for a lot of very cool platforms. I think maybe generously, a third of that stuff never got deployed or used properly. And now, 18, 24 months in, a lot of the leaders of those organizations are starting to ask where the return on investment of those platforms are. So this fiscal year, we've definitely seen for the first time a stoppage in growth in the amount that's being spent in MarTech and sales operations technology. And in a lot of cases, perhaps more importantly, a real decrease in willingness to invest employee time in new platform onboarding. What I mean by that is, hey, it's great that we're going to buy the latest and greatest new sales improvement efficiency tool, whatever the case may be. There's a lot of them. But sales team leaders stepping forward and saying, look... I get there might be a return on investment for this, but I cannot invest any more sales team hours in onboarding these team members on yet another new platform. So it's really interesting that we're starting to see this pendulum swing back up towards pre-2017, maybe 2016 MarTech investment levels, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's interesting. And this might just be a product of my LinkedIn following and having a heavy concentration on people that are advocates for the growth of the MarTech industry and the stack building phenomenon. I keep seeing more and more articles and reposts about how the spend in the MarTech tools and technology are starting to outpace the investment in ad spend and people. So you're saying that actually the leading edge is that that trend is reversing now that it's peaked. Yeah, that's what we're seeing in those conversations with the CROs, CMOs of different organizations. Now, there's two things to keep in mind when I say that. One is we primarily work with B2B SaaS companies, and a lot of those are based in the Bay Area and Seattle which means they're probably on the leading edge of a trend. So I think there are a lot of other organizations that are in middle America, they're in other areas that aren't quite as bleeding edge as Seattle and San Francisco. And therefore, they still probably are on the upswing of investment in those platforms because I wouldn't call them laggards, but they probably aren't at the cutting edge. 
So what I think we'll see show up in the data in end of 2019, early 2020, maybe is that we see a little bit of a pullback in the Bay Area and Seattle markets and other kind of more advanced markets. And then maybe in 2021 or 2022, we would see a bigger overall market pullback. But a lot of what we're seeing in the statistics is A, we're reporting on 2018 numbers probably. And B, those are the overall marketplace as opposed to very specifically B2B SaaS companies that maybe more advanced in both investing earlier on in these platforms and then also reevaluating how much has been put in them. So understanding that there's potentially a contraction in terms of the MarTech budgets that are going to be spent, let's talk about where your dollars are going to be best invested. What are the tools that are mandatory? What are the nice-to-haves? And what are some of the places where you can probably get away with keeping your budget very lean? One of the more interesting areas we've seen recently is a lot of attention being placed on data warehousing and visualization of that data warehousing. And for many organizations, that doesn't come with a significant additional cost. And my logic behind that is, especially if we're talking about MarTech groups, generally your biggest chunk of data is going to be Google Analytics data. Usually that dwarfs any other kind of data you have. Let's say you have a data warehouse that's going to contain product usage data from your own platform. It's going to contain Google Analytics data. It's going to contain advertising data. It's going to contain marketing automation data and CRM data. Your Salesforce data in that data warehouse might be like 10 megabytes, but your Google Analytics data might be 10 gigs. So if you're thinking about it in that context, usually BigQuery being a Google product and being built around the idea of, in many ways, facilitating that Google Analytics data being pumped into it, that usually makes the most sense as a data warehousing solution for a marketing team. And when you think about that and you think about the cost, Google BigQuery is so cheap, it's almost free. For some of our clients, their monthly credits that they get from Google outweigh the actual cost of BigQuery. So that's a pretty cheap, effective solution in that context. Making the assumption you have somebody internally or you're using an organization that can help you configure that and get value out of it. It's interesting. I, I assume that the conversation would have started with, hey, the first thing that you need when you're thinking about B2B SaaS is the correct integration of a CRM. You need to understand who are the relationships that you're managing. And you're starting a level sort of preempting that, which is how are you collecting your data? Is it clean? And can you visualize it? Talk to me about the juxtaposition of data collection and visualization. And where does the CRM and the marketing automation tools, where does that fold into your playbook? So we spend a lot of time thinking about how data is going to be passed between platforms. And I would say for most of our clients, it is fairly standardized. So in general, what we are talking about is a significant amount of programmatic advertising data. So primarily Google's advertising networks, Facebook and LinkedIn, and to a lesser extent, Twitter, although it depends on the client. How are we passing that first touch pixel data into something like Google Analytics? How are we passing form submission and other data into a marketing automation platform, generally Marketo or Marketing Cloud? And how are we passing that data into Salesforce? And how are we passing all the data I just talked about into a data warehouse? The issue with cleanliness and other items related to that, it's not unimportant. And maybe I'm just a pessimist. But in general, what we've come to realize over time is at scale, 
at the enterprise level, cleanliness is an insurmountable problem. And that is not to say that we shouldn't be working on improving it, but it's just one of those things that you kind of have to live with. Everybody's data is messy. And we spend a lot of time rationalizing how we're going to remodel data as opposed to thinking about how we are going to clean 10 years worth of historic data. Because realistically, very few organizations are willing to invest time and resources in cleaning 10 years of historic data. And as fast as you do at scale, an enterprise will generate more dirt. It's kind of like I have two very small children at home and we do a massive cleanup of the house once a month, but really the next day it looks the same again. So there is work that you can do. There is protections you can put in place. There's measures that you can put in place in order to improve the cleanliness of your data. And I don't want to devalue or decrease the importance of that. But you also have to be realistic about what enterprise data looks like at scale and also the changes that you can make as an organization. And there's just some parts of data that you're not going to be able to impact. So if your product is spinning out a certain level of dirtiness and data, and maybe the marketing team can't do anything about that and they just have to live with it. Or if your Asia-Pacific data looks different than your Amer or EMEA data, because of certain cultural differences, or in the case of EMEA, it might be for legal reasons, there's limitations to what you can do there. So a lot of what we're thinking about for clients is how do we improve how the data can be modeled? And how can we use tools in order to clean or remodel data on the fly? And Google's got some great tools for that. I want to take a moment to, and this is an unpaid promotion, but I have a consulting client who I'm a huge fan of. The company's name is Count Ants, C-O-U-N-T-A-N-T-S. I help them do their brand development, and they are focused very much on the exact problem you're trying to solve, which is cleaning up data, disparate data sources, and aggregating them into a data warehouse. If you are struggling with this problem, or if you're looking for a third-party resource to use them, I cannot recommend them and, and Nagi, who is the founder, highly enough. It's a great solution, a great group of people. The interesting thing to me about what you said was you're using Facebook and LinkedIn and GDN, Google Display Network, and to a lesser some Twitter to start your user acquisition, right? To get your lead capture, which to me means inherently that you are using a content marketing strategy to do lead generation and build people into nurture campaigns. While this might seem like, well, duh, that means that you're not using more traditional B2B methods like ABM, like event marketing, some of the other channels which have been mainstays in the enterprise B2B space. Am I reading too much into this? Or are you a content-centric lead acquisition promoting service? I don't want to devalue how important event marketing in particular is. I mean, as a person who used to work at Salesforce, I've seen how the Dreamforce sausage gets made and I've spoken to Dreamforce a number of times and I go to it every year. There is no better boot camp on how important event marketing is than Dreamforce. However, event marketing is an unbelievable way of moving people through the funnel. It is, in our experience, and we run a lot of data on this, not particularly effective at generating new leads. That's fascinating. So I haven't done a lot of event marketing. And my assumption was event marketing was great for building brand awareness, getting your name out there, shaking hands, meeting some people, and that gets them into your funnel. And you're essentially saying everybody that's going to be at the conference either already knows you or doesn't care. And I'm paraphrasing what you're saying. 
Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then, and instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. What matters the most is continuing the relationships with the people that you already know to, to further them, to get them to go through your funnel. Yeah. And I think it's important to segregate types of event monitoring. So several of our clients, Chef, Splunk, they run their own very large scale events. And again, for them, that is really about bringing in existing customers and improving what that overall relationship looks like, which may include cross-sell, upsell, et cetera or bringing in other known quantities in order to push them through the sales funnel. There's also, of course, the more traditional style of event marketing, which is, hey, we're going to attend a conference. But again, in our experience, attending that conference in general and buying a booth is not particularly effective. What is effective is we've identified the 20 top prospects that we know are going to be at this conference. We've set up coffees or dinners with them in advance. And we're using this as our thin edge of the wedge in order to have that conversation with them. But having a booth, generally, you might get a lot of badge scans and everybody will feel good about themselves. But when we look at the data, those badge scans and those leads, those stone cold, I met somebody at this event, the ROI on that is generally not great, especially once you factor in the cost of flying team members to that event and having those team members not actively selling in their traditional method while they're at that event. So a lot of groups will look at a conference and say, oh, this booth is $20,000. That's not a big deal. But then it's, okay, well, how much did you invest in advance in order to promote the fact you're going to be at that event? Because hopefully you did. How much did it cost you to fly your team members there? And it's likely going to be several if you're going to man the booth properly. How much do you spend on dinners and other items while they're there? And then the enterprise level bar tab. Yeah. And what's the lost productivity cost of taking four senior salespeople off the sales floor and off the phones to be at a booth for three days? 
Interesting philosophy on event marketing. We're talking a little bit about lead capture and we segued our way into event marketing. I want to talk to you a little bit about driving people through the funnel. You mentioned that events are a great way to do that. When you're nurturing the leads that you're using content to collect, what are some of the strategies that you find to be effective? And you know, what are you doing to drive your prospects through the funnel and into the hands of sales? I think one of the biggest missed opportunities there is retargeting. Google's network's incredibly strong with this functionality, but as is Facebook's. And it's really interesting to see how many very sophisticated marketing teams are not leveraging retargeting at a very sophisticated level. And one of the things we walk a lot of clients through is they view retargeting as kind of like a set and forget thing, and they don't really come back to it that often. But if you think about it in the context of, okay, we're going to pursue a really targeted audience on Facebook or on LinkedIn or using Google's various platforms, and we're willing to spend up to $30 a form submission, $60 a form submission, $100 a form submission in order to get these leads. And then you talk to them about remarketing and retargeting. And the willingness to invest in that tends to be much lower. And when you think about it, it should actually be higher. So if somebody has come to your website and they've not converted, that person has displayed some kind of interest. So you should be very actively trying to bring them back. And B2C, I feel like, has done a really good job at this, but it tends to be a little more forgotten in B2B. But most groups will somewhat get to that level where they've got some kind of retargeting running. But where organizations are really falling down is what is the post-form submission retargeting? So if we look at somebody has come, they've submitted a form, and now they're in our marketing automation platform, they're in our CRM, most organizations just turn retargeting off then. And really at that point... Now you've got somebody who is a lead. And if you look at what a lead is worth to your organization and you do with a backwards conversion rate on the math to the lead to MQL to SQL to sale, that lead is now worth a lot more than just a raw visit. And you should be investing more in bringing those people along the sales funnel. So why aren't you running a campaign where for 48 hours after somebody has submitted a form, you saturate their entire internet experience with brand awareness advertising. So when that SDR reaches out, your organization is super top of mind. That makes a lot of sense when you do the math on it, but a lot of organizations really aren't there yet. Yeah, I think where the B2B enterprise marketer falls down in terms of retargeting is actually more not understanding what the message should be, right? Someone has completed the form and they're not sure what to say next other than, do you want to come do a demo? And to me, understanding the prospect of you've done lead capture, now you're doing product education, right? Now you're sharing your case studies, you're sending somebody to a non-gated white paper. You're just trying to get them to understand the value proposition and what message to get across to try to move someone from aware to educated to consuming product information to purchase. How do you think about that funnel, about what message to drive across when you are retargeting? I think one of the reasons that B2B marketers fall down in this avenue is they haven't really figured out a way to change the marketing as the person moves through the sales funnel. Historically, that hasn't been as easy on the B2B front as the B2C front. 
but there's been a big change in that recently. So Google Analytics 360, which is an enterprise product, probably starts at around 150K a year. But if you're at scale and you're doing a million website visits a month, it probably makes a lot of sense. If you're using Google Analytics 360 and you're using Salesforce, Salesforce's Sales Cloud, that is, you can integrate GA360 and Sales Cloud, and you can have custom audiences in Google Analytics that are based on the lead or opportunity stage that somebody is in Salesforce. So you can have a custom audience in Google Analytics of everybody who is an open lead. You can have one that is everybody who's MQL'd. You can have everybody who's SQL'd. You can have everyone who is an open opportunity that is not a customer, as an example. And then by doing that, most of your listeners might be aware of this, but in Google Analytics, any custom audience that you create can then be used as a targeting audience in Google's ad networks. So as an example, if you're passing your lead status of MQL into Google Analytics, you can now have an audience of these are my MQL leads, which means that in AdWords or in any of Google's ad platforms, you can now very specifically in real time run advertising to MQL. So you can do things like when somebody submits a lead form, I'm going to give them a lot of brand awareness once they're MQL'd so that when the SDR calls, we're top of mind. And if the SDR qualifies them and marks them as a sales qualified lead, now I'm going to start focusing on running video advertising that is use cases and case studies related to what they may be interested in. And okay, now we have an open opportunity and they're moving through the funnel. Now I want to start showing them video testimonials of clients who have already solved a problem. So once they're an opportunity, they've probably been educated on who we are. And they're probably familiar with they having a problem that we can solve. Now we want to start running very specific video testimonials and other advertising, demonstrating that other people have successfully solved this problem with us. But historically, you haven't really been able to target advertising based on those offline phone conversations and somebody moving through the sales funnel in the CRM. And, and that's a big change that's occurred this year. And you can do a similar thing with Marketo if you're handy with some custom coding or you are working with a consultancy that understands that ecosystem. Yeah, I like the use of, you know, moving from more of the brand awareness, you're just splashing a logo in front of someone and following across the internet to as they mature through the funnel, you're starting to not only add a more complex message, but you're moving to a different type of fidelity. You're using video and some richer imagery to be able to get your point across and better educate the customer. That makes a lot of sense. Any other tips as you are driving someone through the funnel or any trends that you're seeing in the B2B enterprise space, tools that are becoming more prevalent? I know in terms of email outreach, I've seen outreach.io become you know a much more popular tool. Obviously, there's the Marketos of the world, your email engagement. Any other tools that you recommend or are seeing being adopted widely? I would say the other big change that we started seeing late 2018 and now is really moving to the forefront this year, kind of moving from early adopter into more general acceptance, is enrichment at multiple stages in the sales funnel. So historically, when we used to think about enrichment platforms, that was a sales operations expense and you would enrich Salesforce. And there's some old historic enrichment providers that were around for a long time. But now, kind of the new up-and-coming, more sophisticated, more advanced enrichment providers like Clearbit, they're positioning themselves and doing a really good job at enriching at each stage of the engagement. So as an example, you can use Clearbit to enrich Google Analytics 
So if you start enriching Google Analytics with Clearbit, you can start to do things like, again, create those custom audiences for advertising. So you can start to look in Google Analytics and say, okay, 90% of my traffic is SMBs and only about 10% of my traffic is the enterprise. But when I look at my pricing page and how I'm going to optimize my conversion flow and my happy path through my website, I kind of only care about the enterprise people. So in my Google Analytics data, because I've enriched it with Clearbit, I can now specifically look at how people went through my website if they were enterprise and ignore all the static of SMB. Or I can also do things like build custom audiences for advertising. So I can say, this year, we're really focused and have a specific budget for healthcare or a specific budget for automotive. And if we're enriching industry, as an example, with Clearbit, I can go and say, okay, I want a custom ad audience that is going to very specifically target towards people who came to our website who were from the automotive industry, or I want to specifically target people who are from the healthcare industry with these ads. And that's really powerful in terms of segmenting your budget. And then you go one step further, you can use Clearbit to enrich uh, Marketo forms on the fly. So normally when you go to a website and it's your first visit to that site, you've never been there before, that form might have five or six fields. Whereas if you're enriching it with a provider like Clearbit, you can shrink that form down to just the email address alone. And Clearbit will populate in the background the other fields it's able to detect because it can recognize that organization's IP address. And then, of course, there's the traditional enrichment that we're all familiar with in Salesforce. And then taking it one step further, after we push all this data into a data warehouse and we want to go back and we want to examine what is our lifetime value of customer or what is our customer acquisition cost or what is our CAC and our CAC to payback period, etc., Again, you can enrich the data warehouse with something like Clearbit, and you can start to segment that by SMB versus enterprise, by industry, etc. So instead of looking at everything and saying, well, our lifetime value of a customer is typically, let's say, $100,000 for easy math, we can start to segment it by a specific industry. Or we can start to say, hey, when Facebook leads come in, it looks like we're getting a really great cost per acquisition But once we push somebody all the way through the sales funnel, what we can see is if they come from this specific industry, they almost always churn within the first 12 months. Okay, we should re-examine whether we're investing in that platform or not. What's interesting to me is as we think about the funnel that you're outlining, you are using a digital first approach and using what I would have normally considered to be more consumer facing channels to do lead acquisition. You're not going to have a very rich form. You're going to use enrichment tools like Clearbit to collect as much data as you need and create your remarketing audiences and focus on, again, digital channels to try to drive people through your funnels as a replacement for some of the traditional B2B sales-driven or event marketing-driven channels. So you're taking very much a digital marketer's approach to growing a B2B enterprise SaaS business. Yeah, I would say a lot of that probably comes from in part of background at working at Radiant 6 and then later Salesforce and then two other B2B SaaS companies after that. And the commonality with the exception of Salesforce was we were able to do things digitally very nimbly and we were able to invest in programmatic advertising. What we didn't have a lot of was human beings to throw at a problem. So a lot of it had to do with, okay, well, how do we invest in these things and how do we generate and nurture leads and get them as far as we can before we begin to introduce the human beings, which would be the SDRs or BDRs, depending on the organization. 
Well, I think it's an interesting strategy. I definitely pulled a couple of things out that I'm going to test with some of my B2B SaaS clients. So Greg, thank you for coming on the podcast. I'm looking forward to talking to you more about specifically revenue optimization in our show tomorrow. Okay. Thanks a lot, Ben. All right. That wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Greg Poirier, the president of Cloud Kettle, for joining us. In part two of our interview, which we're going to publish tomorrow, Greg is going to talk to us about how he thinks about revenue optimization. And if you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Greg, you can click on the link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You could send him a tweet at Cloud Kettle, C-L-O-U-D-K-E-T-T-L-E, or you could visit his company's website, which is cloudkettle.com. A couple of links to tell you about that are in our show notes. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, don't worry about it. We've got you covered. Just head over to martechpod.com where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. If you're a subscriber to the MarTech Podcast, thanks for being a member of our community. We always want to hear from you, so we created benjshap.com slash question, where you can send us your topic suggestions or marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you could always reach out on social media. My handle is benjshap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P, on LinkedIn and on Twitter. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, in addition to part two of our conversation with Greg Poirier, the president of Cloud Kettle, we're going to publish an episode every day during the work week. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. And if you prefer to have our content delivered to your inbox, we also have a once a week newsletter with links to our audio players, episode summaries, and contact information for our guests. To subscribe, go to benjshap.com slash newsletter. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.